Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So, for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, you're listening to a brand new episode of Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim, where this week we discuss Florian Zeller's The Sun, plus cover off all the latest movie and trailer news. I'm Timmy Fland, movie buff. And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist. And we love to talk all things movies. We do. And in the sun, a family struggles to reunite after falling apart as Peter's life with his new wife and their infant is upended when his troubled and angry teenage son Nicholas arrives. While striving to take care of his son, Peter looks to his own past to correct his mistakes but loses sight of how to hold on to Nicholas in the present. The Sun is directed by Florian Zeller from a screenplay by Zeller and Christopher Hampton. The movie stars Hugh Jackman, Laura Dern, Vanessa Kirby, Zen McGrath and Anthony Hopkins. Trigger warning, before we jump into this discussion, this episode discusses depression, self-harm, trauma and suicide. If you or someone you know needs support, contact beyondblue.org.au or Lifeline at 13 11 14, anytime, day or night. Now, Tim, this movie is both incredibly hard to talk about and also incredibly easy and enjoyable because it's such a wonderfully made film. Would you agree? Oh, see, here we are. Already, okay. Already. The horse has bolted Okay. and you're going one way and I'm going the other potentially. Okay, strap in. Yeah, strap in, folks. Uh, But the subject matter is very heavy. It is. And despite the quality of the film, depending on which side of the fence that we all both land on, Mm -hmm. it's a really important topic to discuss. It explores the relationships of fathers and sons, grief and love through the lens of mental illness and the struggles that come along with that. Yeah, it's a, it's a snapshot during a moment in time where a family are at a crossroads with their life and they're trying to communicate and understand each other through multiple lenses. Mm-hmm. And here we have the son and that conflict, that drama, that family dynamic, which is explored mm-hmm. throughout the film. 
One thing that I admire about the sun is that it doesn't solve or comment on mental illness too yeah. much, but instead opens up the conversation. You know, mental health is such an ever-evolving and unique thing. It looks different on everyone, yeah, uh, which can make it really hard to portray authentically on screen. And so my question to you mm. is, did you feel that the troubles of the character of Nicholas were portrayed authentically, the whole conversation around mental health in some way? I did. It didn't feel cliched to me. It didn't yep. feel like too overacted. I think Zen mm. McGrath did a fantastic job in portraying this performance. I think it really showcases how complex mental health is. It really is. Yeah. And The Sun is more of a cautionary tale, just one insight into how a family and a situation deal with mm. the the struggles of that trying to understand it and also getting caught up in really complex things like one's selfish needs juxtaposed then with actively trying to help but also mm. not knowing how yeah also reading signs and understanding where you've messed up it's uh, like you said before it's not trying to give you all the answers and exactly how to deal with it oh. wrapped up with a bow. It's just simply one take on the scenario. It presents this story in a way where you have to look for the moments. Yeah. You have to look for the moments between what's happening mm. on screen, if that makes sense. Yes. And I think it also explores how broken the healthcare system is when it comes to mental health mm. and how it's not always helpful to go through the system. Mm. In this film in particular, Nicholas is taken to see a doctor. He's put in like a facility of some kind for a little yeah, while. psychiatric ward. Yeah, and the doctor does things like makes him sit apart from his parents and he's quite pushy and he's quite rude. It's quite isolating. Yeah for someone who's already feeling so incredibly isolated. Mm, and it shows how parents often have to deal with impossible decisions yeah. where they have to juggle between doing what they think is right for their son mm -hmm. in protecting them, saving their life, and also asking themselves the question, I think this is something that the doctor says to them, that love is not enough. Yeah. Like you, your son is, is in danger. He's in danger of himself. Mm. That oh, that battle that they have to deal with in that moment is pretty profound. Here's some stats for you. In Australia, men are three times as likely to attempt suicide as women and far less likely to seek help for mental health. Mm. There's this culture, especially in Australia, around the world, of men not being able to talk about their feelings. And guys also make up an average seven out of nine suicides every day. In Australia. Now, that number, when you think about it in that context, is overwhelming. That's awful. And that's something that this film explores is mm. men and mental health. You know, I spoke to Zen McGrath recently, the mm. actor who plays Nicholas, and he was saying how this film is a really important vessel to just simply open up the conversation about mental health. And he commented on how young people, he's really proud, the new generation sweeping up and coming mm. into the conversation about mental health are really breaking down some barriers. And that a film like this is really important from an art perspective for art to lift that topic of conversation up and give it a bit of a platform to put it in front of us, mm -hmm. confront us, challenge us not to look away but to look inward and see how we can apply a scenario like this happening in the sun to our lives or at least be aware of it in some way. I have to say it was a really wonderful conversation that you had with Zen McGrath. Well Thanks. done. And please make sure that you check that out when it comes up on YouTube and on our podcast feed very soon because it's it's a really fascinating conversation, an important one too. Yeah. 
Now, we're not going to give away any spoilers for this film as we never do. We try not to. Yeah. But the end of this film hits really hard. Yes. Oh, my God. And then it gives you a bit of hope and then it snatches it away again, Mm. which is an interesting creative choice that some are criticising the sun for being manipulative. Yeah. I didn't feel it was. I completely agree with you. I did not feel manipulated. I did not feel that it lent into areas of sensationalism. I found it to be deeply moving, deeply profound. Some of the best scenes in the film from an acting perspective, from a story perspective, Mm -hmm. it floored me. Yeah. It, it floored me hard. We walked out of the film being a bit shell-shocked. Oh, yeah, that's one way of putting it. We did, yeah. It, yeah. It's a very different film to Florian Zeller's The Father. Yeah, infinitely different. Even though it explores some of the same themes. Mm. Do you think it's an overall hopeful film by the end? I said this earlier. I simply think it's a cautionary tale. I think it's just a story told that follows a particular structure mm. and it's just one interpretation of what may or may not happen with a family struggling with a son who is deeply troubled and in pain. Yeah. Hopeful, I guess, in some way, yes, but I guess it's how you interpret how the film comes to a head yeah. and how the characters deal with it and, and what you take away from it. I really think it's open to self-interpretation. You know, there's an interesting and really heartening thing that I read about when researching this film is that mental health support was actually available for the cast and crew behind the scenes. It's good, isn't it? You know, it? it's so important to treat this topic with care on screen, but equally important to make that help available for people behind the scenes. Yeah, absolutely. And you can only imagine how crucial that would have been from a health and safety perspective on a film like this when you have characters, not only Nicholas, but the characters that Laura Dern and Hugh Jackman and Vanessa Kirby play because they're they're having to reciprocate that trauma, that pain yeah. that Nicholas is going through. So it's definitely a two-way street. I, I really admire that about the production. Let's talk a little bit about Florian Zeller. This is his second feature film, if you can believe it, mm. after 2021's The Father, which starred Anthony Hopkins as a man suffering from Alzheimer's and his reality slips away. Mm. We love that film. I think I gave that five popcorn kernels out of five. From memory, if I recall correctly, I think it was the first five out of five I gave on the podcast. Yeah, me too, I think. Mm. This is a very different style to The Father. Yeah. Although the core themes, as I said, are very similar. The Father felt more theatrical in its confined set because it was confined to one apartment, like maybe one or two rooms. And it played out more like a a mystery. There were things visually happening in and around that were displacing. They were confusing, but there is resolution and it was just a perfectly shaped film. So Zeller's style has evolved to be a bit more cinematic with this film. The, The scope is broader. Mm. in terms of location and story. What do you think about this film compared to The Father? Look, I th- this is where I will lean into some of my criticisms, if, okay. if I may. I really think that he has incredible intention behind his work. I just love where he's come from as a playwright, yeah. adapting his stories to cinema and really pushing the boundaries in how to visually tell his stories. He succeeded, as we've discussed beautifully in The Father, and we'll talk a little bit later about the cinematography and production design and how he brought the son to life. He really approaches his story with considered thought, and he puts yeah. a lot of research and all that behind it. My problem, Lee, with Florian's adaptation mm. of the son to screen was the dialogue. 
Okay. I couldn't settle into the dialogue. Explain that to me a bit more. So I, I really found a lot of the interaction between characters, simply the things that they said about how they felt, communicated with each other, quite jarring and cliché. Okay. I recall you saying at the top of the episode you didn't find this cliched or anything, but I'm completely opposite. Talking about in terms of Zen McCraw's performance mm. and how depression is coming across on the screen, no, I don't think it was cliched at all. I think it was yeah. quite unique and, and nuanced. Mm. Dialogue. Yeah. I don't know if that jumped out at me so much. Enough to bother me anyway. Interesting. Yeah. It was one of those things in my experience of watching the film that once it presented as a bit cliched, it was at the forefront of the rest of the experience for the film for me. And I thought, would they talk like that? Would that doctor really say that to them? Would Hugh Mm. really say that back? Would Nicholas express himself in that way I, I challenged every piece of dialogue almost from then until the end and it really took me out of it it's interesting that you say that because Christopher Hampton and Florian Zeller did work together on the father yes so the dialogue was fine there for you wasn't it oh my gosh the, I, I, it was five <laughs> out of five for me which is a really interesting take for me to be saying this about this film because the father literally won the Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay. Yeah. And so when I'm watching this film, I'm like, was this written by the same pair? It just didn't feel like the upper echelon skill mm. and nuance of the father. And I'm still trying to crack the Da Vinci Code on that feeling that I took away from the movie. That's interesting. Mm. One thing I do love about Zeller, though, is that he has this unique way of working with actors that he wants them to bring as much of themselves to the role as they can, Mm. which can in turn be very taxing on an actor when doing the job. Do you think maybe that's why the dialogue fell by the wayside? Because there's so much focus on getting those performances right, on portraying this really tough topic as well as he possibly could that Mm. the dialogue sort of fell by the wayside. Yeah, that's such a good point. I'm glad you led into that because I've been contemplating his approach to less and less rehearsals. They didn't really rehearse that much. And I'm thinking, did the actors need more time with the words in order to find the right Uh, voice? So I, I really think that the marriage between some cliche dialogue over here and a really admirable approach to direct your actors to really feel in the moment and not mm. rehearse and just and, and there were some really raw, powerful experiences from an audience perspective through that. There technique. really are. I'm still salty that Hugh Jackman wasn't nominated for an Oscar for this. Do you know what? He's astonishing in this. He really is fantastic. He, he is amazing. We will in this talk film. about that yeah. for sure. Mm. Another thing about Zeller's films though, they're wholly specific but extremely universal. Yeah. To the human experience. Do you know what mm. I mean? Like they mm. zoom in, as you said, on this one family, this one iteration of what could happen, mm-hmm. but it connects with people so well. Yes. I find that amazing. Yeah, it's it's a skill and it's it's a beautiful vocation for him to have as an artist to feel compelled to tell these universal stories for us to learn something about mm. ourselves and our own lived experience. It's pretty special. And we haven't mentioned this, but you also spoke to Florian Zeller again. I feel like he's a friend of the podcast now. <laughs> he's been on twice. He's been on twice. Yeah, you spoke to him uh, for The Father a couple of years ago. I did, right before he won his Best Adapted Screenplay yeah. Oscar. Mm-hmm. I, I just love that he wants to share these stories and experiences with people. His intention is to connect. That's it. 
And I think he's successful in doing that. And there's a freedom and a surety that comes when a director is adapting his own work. You can feel the assured direction behind what's happening. Mm. And I believe Zen McGrath said to you that he was always aware of the big picture. Yes. Like he always knew how the pieces were going to fit yeah. in the big picture. And Zen said that he learned a lot mm. from Florian about that approach and his ability as a director, as you should be able to experience the whole picture and mm. communicate that back to your actors. It was great talking to a, a young kid so early on in his career because you can tell how much of a sponge he was and the things that mm. he was going to take away from not only learning from a great director as Florian, but also screen legends like Laura Dern and Hugh Jackman and... I mean, hello, Sir Anthony Hopkins. Oh, my God. Now <laughs> that you bring those guys up, let's talk about them. Because, Segway. Yeah. Hugh Jackman, like I said, I'm still salty that he hasn't been nominated for an Oscar for this performance. Mm. He delivers an incredible performance. Absolutely mm. astonishing, especially at the end. It's heartbreaking. But all the way through, because even though this is a film about the teenage son, Nicholas, mm. Hugh Jackman's character is also a son dealing with, you know, the shit that comes with... His father, yeah. who is awful. <laughs> a lot of baggage. Yeah, a lot of trauma for himself. And then yeah. how he deals with his experience, lived experience as his father's son, yeah. how that's playing into how he is a father yeah. now. It's complex but rich territory yeah. for drama. He's really grappling with his relationship that he has with his own father. Mm. And that father-slash-grandfather role mm. that Anthony Hopkins plays was actually a new character brought into the film. So he's, he's vaguely mentioned, I think, in the play, but he, he's fully fleshed out in the film. Florian says when I spoke to him that that, that character of Anthony, the mm. character's name is Anthony as well, it was a ghost in his play. Right. Yeah, okay. So he manifests as a real person with their own sort of discourse and scene yeah. in the film. Yeah. I mean, his character is so narcissistic and Anthony Hopkins delivers a typically wonderful performance reminiscent yeah. of some of the most terrifying characters that he's known for in his right. career. So intimidating, so sharp, downright bloody scary, yes. I would say. He was utterly terrifying. He was. And it's exciting to see him playing that kind of character, to play in that space. It's also quite confronting to see him in that space because he's so damn good at it. And he packs a hell of a punch because he does. he's in one scene. Gosh, I could talk about this two-handed between Hugh Jackman and Sir Anthony Hopkins for the rest of the episode. There, there <laughs> yes. is so much to unpack there. This is where the inconsistency in the script uh, surprises me because from a piece of writing, that scene is perfect. How it builds and crescendos yep. and just kind of snaps, like literally snaps and jolts you yeah. is just brilliant. And the way that these actors work with the words, work with the physicality in the scene, like you, you can't help but constantly have yep. that play out in your mind. Hugh Jackman's sitting there so stiff mm -hmm. and so like, scared of his father but also trying to confront these feelings that he's had so that he can resolve some of his own issues and help his son mm. but you can see the fear for this man that he has and also the realization too oh yeah he has a bit of an epiphany after that uh, encounter yeah. Yeah, and it yeah. changes his approach to Nicholas. Oh, yeah. I love that scene too. It's a real standout. Absolutely. Yeah. We've got to talk about Laura Dern as Kate, who is Peter's ex-wife, the mm. mother of Nicholas. She is expectedly brilliant in this. A mother at the end of her rope who doesn't know how to help her son. She's got this line that really stuck out at me. Mm. Don't know where his sadness comes from. 
It's that's so sad. Yeah, and it's <laughs> poignant because it just really highlights how depression is not logical. Mm. There's this misconception that something must have happened. And that's something I think Peter says, the dad says in the film. He says, yeah. well, something must have happened. And he says, help me understand. Try yeah. and make me understand. Sometimes you can't understand. No, it's not logical in any way, shape or form. You just have to empathise. Yeah. Mm. You know, the the character of Kate, Laura Dern's character, is dealing with a lot because she feels like a complete failure as a mother, mm. which would be unimaginable to have to deal with. But there was one thing, something else that she said that was really profound, Mm -hmm. that she was scared of her son's behaviour. Can you imagine being scared Mm. of your own son and not quite understanding why or what to do with that feeling? Well, hang on. Are we calling out some good lines from this film? Oh, yes, oh maybe, maybe the dialogue wasn't so bad, Tim. <laughs> As I said, it was just inconsistent. <laughs> oh, you said, you said. Okay, he let's said, move on. Zen McGrath, little Aussie superstar. Yeah. He is a revelation as Nicholas, I will say. He brings so much complexity to the role and it's a big one to shoulder. Mm. As he said, his first proper adult acting role. I was impressed by his performance because, and he says this when I talk to him, you're not meant to really know what Nicholas is struggling with. You're just meant to look in and he's presenting just pain, confusion, anger. He's a very angry kid. And it's really hard to watch Mm. a lot of his performance because you, just like him and everyone else around, you don't know what to do. And I think that's one of the things that I really loved about the way this story is portrayed is that it doesn't try to pinpoint because you can't. Mm. That's the way it is when it comes to depression and mental illness. I mean, I'm not an expert, but it's so hard to pin down. And I like that they didn't try. They yeah. just invite you into this conversation. They invite you into this world to open up the conversation and explore it. I mean, one of my favourite scenes in the film, it presented as a moment of lightness within the dark, but then it instantly switches pretty mm. pretty suddenly where the character of Beth, played by Vanessa Kirby, which we'll talk about in a second, and Hugh Jackman's character Peter and Nicholas are all in the room and they start to get up and dance. And yeah. it's quite hilarious watching Hugh, who's known for to being a singing and dancing man, yep. to dance goofy. Daggy dad dancing. Daggy which dad I dancing. found that so funny too because he's too good. He's you too good. <laughs> he's a triple threat Broadway star. <laughs> That's right. But that does bring a nice moment of levity and light to the mm. darkness for a little while. A little while, but then it transitions into a bit of slow-mo and the camera tracks and Nicholas... Then he just switches and becomes distant and not in the room. And it's a really powerful moment considering the light we've just experienced with this family who you think everything's okay. Yeah. Uh, But it's not, unfortunately. Vanessa Kirby, fantastic actress. She's so good. She's doing so much great stuff at the moment. Yeah. She's Peter's new wife, Beth, who is wary of Nicholas. You know, Mm. she's a stepmother, so she's got to navigate that relationship. But she's also worried about his behaviour being around their newborn. Mm. Can sense a little bit of fear, but she's trying not to show that fear. She's quite diplomatic about how she approaches it, but... She's unafraid to voice those concerns, which again, just like Kate, the mother, is trying to understand why she feels unsafe around her son, Beth is also having the same thing. She feels like their newborn isn't safe around Nicholas. It's hard. And I mean, there's no reason for her to be feeling that way. It's just that she doesn't know what he's going to do. Yeah. And he's all of a sudden arrived on their doorstep, troubled, and Kate's saying, I'm at the end of my rope. I don't know what to do. 
She tries to be welcoming, but they're both very wary of each other. Yeah, indeed. And there's some really great two-handers between Nicholas and Beth where Nicholas confronts Mm. Beth about the affair that she had, which broke up the marriage, which I guess you can assume, if if you will, led him into the darkness when he Mm. approached his teenage years where he's trying to grapple with that family dynamic. Yeah, I think it's quite, again, too easy to pinpoint it to that because as you know, if you're having a bad day or something's going wrong or something's bothering you, it comes out in a different way and you target your anger or your upset at something that's not even the problem. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Well, that happens to me. Yeah. Guilty. Happens to me all the time. <laughs> so he's a teenager and what's at the forefront of him is that his dad was stolen away by this hussy of a woman who had an affair with him, right? Yeah. But that's not really the problem. It's not the reality. No. Yeah. Oh, it's it's so true. I mean, this film is deeply complex and it's mm. just trying to present some form of truth yeah best it can let's talk about the set design and cinematography quickly Mm. the director of photography is ben smithard and although as we said this is more cinematic the set design and the cinematography still make it feel really confined yeah and looking internally into nicholas and his experience we're feeling the world through nicholas i think where florian and Ben Smithard succeeded with the father was creating that tension and really moving the camera in unique and really interesting Mm. ways within the space, within limited space. Do you think they do it as well here though? Because there's some, there's some shots between doorways and and interesting shots of like a washing machine going around. Going harder and harder and harder. I think that was symbolic of the scenario about what's to come potentially. It depends how you take it. No, I think the father is a faultless film and I think how the camera worked within the space was much more dynamic based on the story. Here it's a bit more simplistic, but I still felt tension and drama in how they moved the camera with within the, mm. the New York apartment especially. Yeah. There's mm. a few different sets in this one as well, yeah. moving through New York streets, New York apartment, Nicholas's mm. room. Yeah. You see senses in Nicholas's room in particular of the boy he used to be, but then also yeah. some of the darkness and messiness coming in. Yeah. I think they did a, a fairly good job. Yeah. Should we wrap up our review of The Sun, Tim? Yeah, let's give it a go. The Sun is an important film that tackles the complex and confronting topic of mental health. However, unfortunately for me, the script and dialogue don't meet the needs of the story and result in some performances that are held back by the material at hand. A real shame considering the incredible work of Florian Zeller in The Father only two years ago. Having said that, there are still really profound things to take away from this film in how we communicate, listen and approach mental health and the ending really left a mark on me too. I'm going to rate The Sun two and a half popcorn kernels. Okay. Well, the word compassion comes to mind when thinking about Florian Zeller's films. In choosing to tackle complicated subjects with such poise and care, Zeller creates profound stories that cut to the core of what it is to be human, while also opening up discussion about topics that are often shoved to the side because they hurt too much to bear. But Zeller doesn't manipulate or force discomfort on the audience. He simply invites you in and says, it's okay to feel the way you do. The Sun is another beautifully made film that will also be quite confronting and triggering for some viewers. So please be aware, but it's delivered with an amazing gentleness. I'm going to give it four popcorn kernels out of five. Wow. It's quite a different score there. It is. It is. You know, but I I really like how we still took out a lot from this movie. Yeah. It was just some of the pieces didn't gel together 
for each of us as the other. Well, The Sun is in Australian cinemas from February 9. And as we said, please check out our interviews with Zen McGrath, the star, and Florian Zeller, the writer, director, because you'll get a lot out of it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Lee, probably the biggest thing to come out of Hollywood this week was the first series of official announcements because there have been Plenty of speculation Mm -hmm. from DC Studios co-CEOs James Gunn and Peter Safran about their film plans for the DCU. This is very exciting, Tim, because the first slate reveals that our introduction into the new DCU will be titled Chapter 1, Gods and Monsters. I love it. I'm obsessed with that name. (laughs) I do love it. I also just love from a simplicity point of view that it's called Chapter 1. Yeah. Like we do, like it's a comic, like we've, you know. Well, they can't do phase one, can they? Well, I mean, they could and then get absolutely trolleyed in the courts. <laughs> so across films, TV shows, comics and games, Gunn and Safran have been hard at work mapping out a DCU reset audiences deserve and can get excited about. So what have they got in store for us? Okay, so in film, they've got Superman Legacy which is going to be written by Gunn and the film will hit theatres in July 2025. So this one will focus on Superman balancing his Kryptonian heritage with his human upbringing, which he kind of always does, doesn't yeah. he? <laughs> he's, so he's still d- juggling with the same shit that he's always <laughs> yeah. been juggling with, but that's right if it ain't broke. So Clark Kent will be around 25 years old in this film, which is quite young, mm-hmm. H- hence why Henry Cavill uh, definitely had to say goodbye to the role because he ain't 25. Yeah, I'm pretty sad about that still. I know, you don't want to talk about it. Your body language says no. <laughs> <laughs> We're also getting a film called The Authority, which will bring Wildstorm characters into the DCU as members of of the authority who take matters into their own hands to do what they believe is right. So this is reminiscent of the Eternals for me, I guess, yeah, in some well, way. Maybe Task Force X isn't working so well, so they're scrapping that, that bitch, focus. Walla. <laughs> well, she's getting a TV series. <laughs> she is, which and Viola Davis is going to remain as a character. Love that for her. So freaking good. <laughs> All right, so next up in the in the film lineup is the Brave and the Bold. So the DCU will introduce another new Batman and Robin in this unusual father son story. That's right. So Robin is Batman's son in this iteration, uh, and it's inspired by Grant Morrison's comic series. But Robert Pattinson's The Batman is still going to exist in this world too. Yes. Separate to the DCU. 
So many Batmans. <laughs> so many Batmans. <laughs> so many Batmans. While we're on the Batman subject, yeah. there was also talk of why Batgirl wasn't released, right? Yes, you dug this up, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, so Gunn said that the Batgirl film was unreleasable. Ouch. Yeah, that's quite harsh. He said oh. it would hurt the careers of the people that were involved in it if it was released as it was. That's almost the politest backhand I've ever heard. Yeah, and I still think it's strange that they didn't throw some money into trying to fix it up then. Look, it, it's bizarre because you and I both know there are some utter shit films out there that get released and you think, how? Yeah. Just simply the question, how? How did this get made? And you think, was Batgirl that unsalvageable that they couldn't do reshoots and pickups and throw a bit more money in it and make it work? Surely yeah. not. Surely it could have been salvageable. I mean, we had Brendan Fraser as the villain in that film. I was... <sighs> So excited to see what he yeah. was going to bring to the screen. That would have been really good. We'll literally never know because my understanding is that it can never be released. Yeah. L- legally, we will never be able to see it. That is correct. Fuck. Yeah. So moving on to Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow. This will be a science fiction adventure which will be based on Tom King's award-winning recent comic stories and it presents a Supergirl viewers aren't used to seeing who's been stranded on a fragment of Krypton and had to watch everyone she loves die. Dark. <laughs> so grim. But the DCU has always been a bit darker than Marvel anyway. Yes. Yeah, from a tone perspective but for I sure. But I find that strange about Supergirl because the Supergirl I remember from like the 80s or early 90s. I don't know when. Have you ever seen that film? No, I haven't. I loved it. I mean, it's I'm saying with Superman, he's not all that dark. He's hopeful. He's a beacon of justice and hope. And, you know, there are some darker themes in the Henry Cavill films. Mm. It seems like James Gunn's going to go for this darker, quirkier take that he's known for. That he's definitely known for. You know what really intrigues me about the Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow premise what? is how Supergirl and Superman will come together. And Mm. will they be chummy cousins or will (laughs) they bash heads based on their lived experience? That's the piece that really excites me. Interesting. Mm. Now, jumping to the monsters side of gods and monsters, we're going to get Swamp Thing in the DCU. So the film Mm. will investigate the dark origins of Swamp Thing. I really know zero zilch nothing nada about Swamp Thing. You've never seen the previous film? No. Okay. And I believe they made one season of a TV series recently that got cancelled. Yes. Yeah, that one flew under the radar. But it's interesting that that is going to play a a part in Chapter 1. I'm I'm intrigued. Yep. Okay. So how does this all fit into what we currently have coming up in the DCU? Can you please explain? Yeah, the biggest question of them all. Let me try. So, look, we have Shazam! Fury of the Gods coming out in Mm -hmm. March of this year, followed by The Flash. Now, The Flash, James Gunn has said, by the way, one of the greatest superhero movies of all time. That's his take on it. So okay. that's comforting. Yeah. yeah, as part of all this stuff, he's like, The Flash is amazing. Is that a hype to sort of balance out all the controversy oh, and delays and all that stuff? <laughs> the PR machine always spins. So The Flash will serve as a universe reset. Heck, we all fucking know we need one. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll shift from the DCEU to the DCU. So then we're getting another two films this year post this universe reset. We get Blue Beetle, WTF, no idea. Let's just wait and find (laughs) out. And then we're going to get the sequel to Aquaman, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. That one will then lead into Chapter 1 of the DCU Gods and Monsters. Well, there you have it. Clear as mud. (laughs) They're the films we have to look forward to and a bit further in the future. I can't wait. 
I'm excited. Tickle me intrigued, Lee. <laughs> now, speaking of long-anticipated films, the Madonna biopic, which the icon was going to direct herself, mm. is no longer in development at Universal Pictures. Oh, dear. Here we go. So, the news came after Madonna announced a huge world tour, leaving the fate of her film seemingly in doubt. Yeah, she says it's still going to happen eventually. Yeah. But not at Universal. At this stage. Julia Garner of Ozark fame was cast in the role of the pop icon and that followed a gruelling boot camp among a group of young actors including people like Florence Pugh, Euphoria's Alex Ademi, Odessa Young and Bibi Rexa who all battled it out for the coveted role of Madonna herself. Yeah, these boot camps sounded intense. Yeah, like 11-hour days of singing, dancing, acting, auditioning. That's it, working with Madonna's choreographers Mm. and then also with Madonna directly so a lot of stuff coming out about those experiences and now it's like oh sorry i'm just gonna sing and dance a bit around the world so you'll just (laughs) have to sit tight she's got to do it while she can that's right so what do we think this means is the madonna biopic on a permanent holiday Mm. like what i did there (laughs) i've got a story i'm sorry quickly yeah i've got a story about madonna's song holiday yeah i was backpacking in south america and i was with my friend lauren we were the first of our group we arrived staggered and we were having dinner in this restaurant and we were the only people there mm-hmm. and they recognized that we were like Aussies, like uh, Caucasian. And so then they we, they were playing like reggaeton and they're like, oh, we'll play something for you. And they put Madonna's <laughs> Holiday on. And wow. Yeah. So they changed the jukebox just for us, just for their audience. The music of white people. <laughs> the music of white people. Madonna. <laughs> so do you think we'll eventually see it? Um. Look, I'm not going to count my chickens on this. Okay. I don't know. I, mm. I think it's going to be at least five years away. There certainly has been a battle behind the scenes to get it off the ground. First, Diablo Cody was attached to co-write the script. Then a second draft was written with Erin Cressida Wilson, who wrote The Girl on the Train or adapted The Girl on the Train. And there's been talk of the drafts that they've submitted being way too long. Mm. I mean, she has a very full yeah. life, personal and career. So I guess you kind of got to kill your darlings, mm. don't you? Madonna mightn't know how. Speaking of artists with a long career, we recently shared that Anton Fuqua will direct Michael, which is a biopic on the life of the King of Pop, Michael Jackson. Development seems to be well underway with the announcement of who will play Jackson in the film. Who's it going to be? Yeah, so 26-year-old Jafar Jackson, who's the son of Jermaine Jackson and the nephew to Michael, will play the Moonwalker. I have a lot of thoughts on this piece of casting. Okay. What what are your what are yours though? Do you want me to go? Yeah, you can get off. I think it's an awful decision. Oh, really? Why? I think it's terrible because we talk about this on the podcast often is sanitized biopics. Yeah. If you have literally the nephew or the son of your brother mm. playing Michael, they're not going to want to feel compelled or rightly so go to those dark places yeah. that Michael's life have. Although Anton Fuqua is fighting for that. I just don't know how he's going to win that battle when he's cast Michael's nephew. I'm sorry. And also the estate of Michael Jackson is heavily involved in the story. Also a 26-year-old playing, it's going to cover his whole life. Yeah. A 26-year-old being aged up to an older Michael. I don't know how I feel about that. There are so many things to unpack about the story of Michael because, yes, totally the ageing thing. I mean, we saw it successfully done with Austin Butler playing Elvis, I feel. But yeah, oh, yeah. kind of. All right, mm-hmm. there you go. Well, mm-hmm. it wasn't nominated for Best Makeup, was it? <laughs> Elvis Presley also did pass away when he was 42 or something. Well, Michael was only 50. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Okay. Well, I stand corrected. But 
Michael's physical appearance changes considerably. Yes. So therein lies its own significant challenges, uh, separate to an age thing. Yeah, true. So I just, I'm, I just don't know how they're going to do it, to be honest. Watch this space. <laughs> yep. Now, here's a match made in heaven. Jennifer Aniston and Julia Roberts are set to team up in a body swap comedy for Amazon. I love this. Now, little is known about the new comedy, but we do know Palm Springs filmmaker Max Barbacow will direct. Did you see Palm Springs? I did, and I really loved it's it. It's a fantastic film. I'm really quite excited about this. And also getting Jennifer Aniston and Julia Roberts back together. They've co-starred in a few Have they? films. Yep, Mother's Day. Oh, of course. Yeah. They were quite good in that. I don't know what else they've been in That was like now. an ensemble bit piece thing. So yes. here they're really going to be together, which is pretty yeah. compelling. Yeah, I'm excited for it. The body swap genre has some pedigree behind it in films like Disney's Freaky Friday and the slasher Freaky, which uh-huh. we loved. Yes. I wonder what the premise of this one's going to be. Oh, look, we could speculate all day, but it's not like Freaky Friday because you have a mother-daughter, mm. the different personalities and such like. Jennifer Aniston and Julie Roberts, they're both, you know, legs up to their Mm. armpits, tall, slender, (laughs) absolute beauties. Uh, It's got to be a personality thing. That's how how it's going to differ. Well, there was also the film The Change Up with Ryan Reynolds and Jason Bateman who switched bodies too. Ah. Gee, there's more within the genre than I thought. Here we go. Oh, now Tim. This piece of news. <laughs> yeah, I'm so fucking excited. Will Smith and Martin Lawrence say it's about damn time <laughs> for Bad Boys 4 in a hilarious social media clip they shared this week. Yep, that's right. The boys are back. Now, the video follows Smith as he drives to Lawrence's home and upon arriving at Lawrence's door, the duo declare that the fourth film is officially on the way with Smith declaring Bad Boys for Life, baby. Sidebar. Mm. Did you find it awkward and a little bit off colour for Will Smith to be driving while holding a camera and filming himself? Oh, Oprah would be most disappointed. Oh, yes. I thought, yeah. mm, not the smartest move for him to be doing something like that. Bad Boys for Life directors Adil El Arbi and Bilal Fala will also return. You know what? And I know they mentioned this in the video mm. and we've talked about this before. The third Bad Boys film was called Bad Boys for Life. Mm-hmm. They really really fucked up there because the fourth film should that's what the title of the fourth <laughs> film should have been with number four with instead number of four, four. <laughs> i mean come on silver platter shit right there Jesus. <laughs> all right let's quickly wrap up the news with something we've been dying to discuss on the podcast the academy award nominations uh, as with every year there are surprises snubs and controversy so what does hollywood's night of nights have in store for us this year Let's touch on the top categories, Lee. Okay, so first up, Best Picture. All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar The Way of Water, The Banshees of Inner Sharon, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness and Women Talking. Who do you think the front runners are there? Okay, the front runner is definitely Everything Everywhere All at Once. Yep. But I would love to see The Banshees of Inner Sharon take the trophy. Okay. That was one of my favourite mm-hmm. films of last year. The Fablemans could also be a shoe in just from the pedigree. No, oh, you liked that more than I did. Right, okay. Yeah. But which is fine, by the way. <laughs> just saying. Yeah. I'm salty triangle of sadness is in there because I just didn't nah. like it at all. No, nah, wasn't keen on that one nah. at all. I love that Top Gun Maverick's in there. I do like that it's in there. It's not gonna win. Oh, but I I do like it. Yeah. <laughs> but it is best picture nominee. Yeah. 
Top Gun Maverick. Because you don't often get action films like that nominated in Best Picture. No, one of the more recent action films that was nominated was Black Panther, mm. the 2019 Oscar ceremony. Yeah. That was quite a, a, a rare thing to happen. Yeah. So it, that, that stuff excites me, really. Actor in a leading role will come down to Austin Butler in Elvis, Colin Farrell in The Banshees of Inner Sharon, Brendan Fraser in The Whale, Paul Mescal in After Sun, and Bill Nye in Living. Who do you think is going to take oh, come this on. one, Lee? Brendan Fraser has it's it. Not in the even a question. <laughs> Brendan Fraser has it in the bag. Who maybe? do you think is on his heels, though, in this category? Colin Farrell. Okay, all right. Or Austin Butler? No, look, because he got the Golden Globe, but I think that's just because Brendan Fraser wasn't there. And he has that whole history with the Golden Globes. I think Brendan Fraser is the full front runner. Let's move into actor in a supporting role now. We have Brendan Gleeson for In the Banshees of Inner Sharon, Brian Tyree Henry in Causeway, Judd Hirsch for The Fablemans, Barry Kean for Banshees of Inner Sharon, and Ki Hoi Kwan for Everything Everywhere All at Once. My heart's with Ki Hoi Kwan. Yeah, me too. I like that Brian Tyree Henry is in there. Mm. I don't understand why Judd Hirsch is in there. Oh, I don't know. It seems like a very Oscar thing. I think also Barry Kean is probably in with a good chance too. Devastating performance yeah. in the benches of Inner Sharon. It's a tight race, but I think it is. I think we know where it's going to land. Actress in a leading role boasts Kate Blanchett in Tar, Anna Darmus in Blonde. Andrea Riseborough into Leslie, Michelle Williams in The Fablemans, Michelle Yeoh in Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Now, I think it's Michelle Yeoh's year. Yes. But. But there has been quite a bit of controversy over Riseborough's surprise nomination and an investigation by the Academy into campaigning tactics after a number of high-profile celebrities, Kate Winslet, Gwyneth Paltrow, took to social media to campaign for her nomination. Yeah, so it was alleged that the director, Michael Morris, and his wife, actor Mary McCormack, contacted many of their celebrity friends to ask them for social media support, with many of the resulting tweets containing similar wording to push for the film. Now, it's not a problem for celebrities to endorse films or performances. Mm. It's more the fact that the creator's possibly reached out to friends to get them to push for it and in some of the campaigning material it compared her performance to Kate Blanchett and Tar which is not allowed you're not allowed to mention the competition in official campaign material oh I didn't know that that's interesting so yeah it was a Mm. bit of a mm. well ultimately the nomination was upheld and I've seen the film yeah and she is absolutely amazing. Yeah, look, I don't mind a surprise nomination because it gets a bit boring when you get to awards season and the same people are nominated over and over again and get the awards. You know you know who's going to win. Sure. Because they've won all the awards in every yep. other award ceremony. Yeah. So I like that there is a surprise inclusion mm. as long as the tactics were sound. Yes, I completely agree. Well, actress in a supporting role, less controversy around this category. Mm-hmm. We have Angela Bassett for her performance in Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Hong Chow for The Whale, Kerry Condon for The Banshees of Inner Sharon, and two more nominees for Everything Everywhere All at Once with Jamie Lee Curtis and Stephanie Husu. I think this is one of the strongest categories. Yeah. I think Angela Bassett's going to get it. Mm. I would love Hong Chow to get it. She was phenomenal. Yes. Kerry Condon was great too. Like they were all great. Jamie Lee Curtis, wouldn't it be amazing if she won an Oscar for that role? I know. What a fun role that was. I mean, I completely agree with you. I would be stoked with any one of these women who walk away with the trophy because they're so deserved to Mm -hmm. be there. 
So best director, Lee, we've got Martin McDonough for The Banshees of Inner Sharon. We have Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinhart. Also known as The Daniels. The Daniels for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Steven Spielberg, old mate, he's there for The Fablemans. We've got Todd Field for Tar and Ruben Ostlund for Triangle of Sadness. I think the Daniels might have it in the bag, Mm -hmm. but also Steven Spielberg is extremely strong contender. Yes. And again, the pedigree. Yeah. I think it's between the Daniels and Martin McDonough from my perspective. All right. Yeah. That's my take. It's my hot take. see what happens. Indeed. One thing I want to finish up with is international feature film. Mm. So All Quiet on the Western Front from Germany, Argentina 1985 from Argentina, Close from Belgium, EO from Poland and The Quiet Girl from Ireland. Now, we actually spoke to the director of The Quiet Girl, Colm by Reed, and you can check out that article on our website. I think that one is going to take it out. Interesting. See, I'm feeling a lot around All Quiet on the Western Front, right. uh, which is a Netflix film. Have you seen it yet? I have not. It's on the list. Recently ticked it off my list. Mm-hmm. It is two and a half hours of utter brutality. Right. So just prepare yourself. It's an astonishing story, okay. and but it's pretty fucking full on. Well, the 95th Oscars will be held on Sunday, March 12 at Dolby Theatre in Los Angeles with Jimmy Kimmel returning to host the ceremony. Oh, I cannot wait. It is only a hop, skip and a jump away. And we will definitely be watching. We will, baby. Well, that about wraps it up for another jam-packed episode of Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim. We covered off Florian Zeller's follow-up to The Father – the Sun. Which is in Australian cinemas from February 9. Please check it out. And as always, friends, thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. We have a website, popcornpodcast.com. Make sure you check it out. We've got all our episodes up there for you. If you'd like to get to know us a little better, there's an About Us section and we run ticket giveaways. So keep an eye on the website for more information. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.